Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality. For those of you that are new, I briefly want to refer you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com. There you will find a flipbook on the homepage with very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me. And in the print, there is highlighted in many places, red. And that red lettering is actually links, live links that go to YouTube videos that are very profound and amazing, that highly confirm from many fields of science and archaeology the reality of what I am sharing here. And I am sharing about the ultimate reality, the very source of reality, which is love, an ultimate perfection of love that is the very source of love and of life and of all creation and of all that is good. Of course, God created us for their own free will. Therefore, because we are the source of our own action, he is not the source of evil, but we are, for we were created as self-responsible beings in order to have the capacity to love by virtue of having free will. So I'm here to share about the one true eternal God revealed in Jesus Christ in this world. And let me clarify to those that are knew also that we do not believe in three gods, but in one true eternal God. And for God to be almighty, he must rule in three personages because he must be able to rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond creation as God the Father, Father meaning originator and the source and the one above and beyond the creation realm, the Son is the full expression of the Father into the creation realm. So the second ultimate aspect of existence is within the creation realm and over it in personage. And the third aspect is omnipresence as God, the Holy Spirit, in filling all things within the creation realm and beyond, including all dimensions of time and space. So God, to be almighty, must be in conscious intelligence or personage in those three ultimate aspects of existence and over them to rule in them. And thus we have one true God that is only one God in three personages that also have interaction in a complete perfection of oneness because there isn't three gods, one God. And his name is Yahweh. And in the Old Testament, the common word in the English is Lord God. And the word Lord is usually in the original Yahweh, meaning the ultimate reality, the I am that I am, as I described. And the word God is Almighty's referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And of course, we have the account in Genesis 18 where Abraham th sees three angels standing before him at the tent door and he doesn't 
they look very human, but probably way beyond human as far as perfection and beauty. And he makes a meal for them, and they eat together, and he dresses one of them as Yahweh, which is the most naked, sacred name for God, the ultimate reality, the source of reality, which is love, Yahweh. Well, so much for the introduction. How do I share these messages? Well, I seek to speak them out of the Spirit of God, because the Word of God says in 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. This is referring to believers, especially when they come together. That when they come together, they are to seek to allow God by his Spirit to speak through them, to build up one another, to edify one another. In the early church, in the very beginning, that was the way it was described in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, and so on. It says when you all come together, one has a hymn, one has a word, and so on. Whether it's a word of encouragement or exhortation or a word of knowledge or some other manifestation of the gift of God's Spirit. And so each member shares. You don't go to the front and ask the pastor for permission to use the mic. You obey the Spirit when he rises within you because you are in a relationship with God where you're sensitive to the Spirit. No, not everyone's in such a mature relationship. But most are that have been born of the Spirit of God. They can sense when God is rising in them to speak. And how dare we quench the Spirit when the Spirit wants to speak through us? Of course, if you're not allowed by the leadership or you're not used to it because it would be out of place, that's understood. But God is bringing a new order into the body of Christ in these last days where this is certainly one of the things he will restore. But it's far more than that. And I've written about it in a book that I have that you can order on Amazon called or titled God Headship and Body Invasion. It's 200 and some odd pages. I think it's around, I don't know if it's 270 or 200. I've forgotten the exact number. But it gives all the things you can do in your local assembly to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly and restoring it to being his house of prayer and his house of holiness. It goes into depth. It goes into the seven ones of Ephesians. It goes into tongues in depth. It goes into many things that are very interesting as well as uh, and all towards God's ultimate alignment. It goes into the strategy to conquer your nation that God is wanting us to align with in these last days. Coming together as churches and fasting and praying for three days in your town or your city or your community and then establishing a new order in your churches that does not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ. Are we going to go back to just being church the same as it was in the midst of a time of such great darkness and trial? Need I tell you what's going on if you're asleep? with your head buried in the sand, maybe you don't know. Just go to my website at ultimatemeaning.com where there's links or at loverealize.com where these messages are and a wonderful worship song playlist and you will discover that. There is links on the homepage to valid news sources that do not lie. The media 30 years didn't lie 30 years ago. 
but they're lying all the time now. They've Most of them have been infiltrated by the Chinese Communist Party and wealthy global elites that have the same agenda as them, which is a world communist dictatorship where they, we become slaves like they are in China. To live a miserable life where you're struggling six days of the week to hardly make a living and can't even get medical coverage if you're living in rural areas in China. You have to give your whole living just to save your loved one that's dying of some condition. No, God has called us to liberty. And as the word of God says, give me liberty or give me death. We will never choose death over life because basically that system is a system of death that leads you to destruction and death and a life that's as good as living like a dead person. If you don't know a relationship with God, and you're atheistic like they are so deceived to believe such nonsense, such phony pseudoscience that is not based in real science at all. And that's what you'll find in my flip book is all kinds of very clear evidence that that is the case. Well, I'm taking a bit longer at introducing myself. Uh, how do I share these messages? Well, yes, it's for 1 Peter 4.11 states, we are to seek to speak as the oracles of God. It also is more clearly understood from Revelations 9.10, which says, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God in great humility and reverence and love for God, we are filled with his spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that can result in creative utterances that are prophetic or speaking as the oracles of God is described in 1 Peter 4.11. And so we are to seek to cultivate that and to speak that way, especially in gathering together around Jesus Christ in assembly. One of the things I do to facilitate speaking prophetically is I cast lots to get the possibility of any two chapters from the Word of God. And I do that with two independent random applications to get two chapters by the casting of Lot, which will bear witness with each other as to the theme, as to the message that is in both of those chapters. And so that is what I will be sharing on. I only spent a half an hour meditating on it, nothing more, which is basically mostly just reading it maybe pasting some of the scriptures that I want to read from. So I'm trusting God. This way I have to trust God because I don't know what I'm going to speak on. But I'm going to be in a heart set and mindset of worship as described in Revelations 19.10 because it is out of that that flows the spirit of prophecy. And so I will seek to speak out of the spirit of God what God is saying to the churches in this hour. To awaken them to conquer your nation, to become the conquering bride church that he's calling for in these last days to fulfill John 17. First of all, I always seek to choose a song by the casting of Lot. Sometimes it is amazing the songs I get and how well they fit by the casting of Lot. Other times, I don't know why, but with the hymns, a potential 
1,257 that I choose from, sometimes they're songs that don't have the greatest tune, so I choose another one that's more or less on the topic of the hymn. So that's what I've done today. And so we're going to go to that song now. This one is one of the more familiar ones. A lot of the songs are from 1,080 hymns from a hymn book uh, that has hymns from throughout church history, but also many from the underground church in China through the work of Wachimane, who was martyred in 1972. So here today, I want to share with you what I received. Blessed assurance. Perfect submission, all is at rest. You know, genuine submission to God is restful because it is out of faith. And a genuine faith in God is resting in who he is. And the message today is on Hebrews 11, which is well known by many as a chapter of faith. And it is on also Genesis 29. That is what I received today on Monday, January the 16th of 2023. 
And so I want to begin by reading some of the passages in Hebrews 11. And I will also continue to read also in the other passage that I received, which was Genesis chapter 29. And before I start, I do want to turn back to 29 here, as I did not paste any of the scriptures particularly in there, but I do want to refer to that chapter in relation to Hebrews 11. And the common theme between these two chapters is definitely faith. And in Genesis 29, it's about Jacob who comes to the well and meets Rachel, which he eventually marries after laboring for Laban for 14 years. And of course, just be prior to this, Jacob had the dream in the wilderness as he was fleeing from his brother where there is a ladder ascending up and down into the presence of God with angelic hosts ascending and descending. And he said, this is nothing but the place where God comes down. He called it Bethel, the house of God. And he poured oil on the stone, symbolizing the presence of God and the rock symbolizing what is immovable, what is indestructible, which is the name for Yahweh, the I am that I am, the ultimate reality. And one of the first and most important characteristics of the love of God that we need to understand is that God's love is integrous. It is so pure that it will not tolerate what is contrary to his love. His love is always choosing the highest lasting good. That is what agape love is. It is a quality greater than filio that is the feelings. So that it's, whether there's the feelings or not, it is always choosing the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. Because any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. This love is as a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to choosing the highest lasting good. It is the holiness of God's love. It is the purity of God that ensures that there can be a foundation from which can spring forth creation without corruption that can ever enlarge without end forever and ever in creative expressions of fellowship of you when you enter heaven with God in his creation and of God with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit with his creation way beyond your human comprehension. And boy, I could get carried away in describing heaven because I've recently written a book which is up on Amazon with a new cover that's really an eye popper titled Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable. And it is an exceptional book to read on the afterlife that exposes a lot of the deceptive interpretations of the afterlife and leads and points people to the reality of their ultimate destination, which is beyond what you can comprehend. It is so wonderful. It is beyond your ability, even in imagination. It's way more wonderful than your ability to imagine it. 
the the highest, the most wonderful, most incredible experience you can imagine would be very insignificant compared to what you will enter in heaven if you abide in God in this world because you receive his atoning work on the cross through Jesus Christ. So I want to go now to Genesis, or pardon me, to um, Hebrews 11 and just read some of the verses here. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. This word faith in the original is the Greek word pistis, which basically means persuasion, particularly persuasion, moral persuasion in God, that he is ultimately trustworthy, that we can fully trust him, no matter what our circumstances are. It is very similar to the Hebrew word for faith. For example, when it says Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness, that word there is amen, or the, basically it's the a word that basically means and is illustrated in the Vines Old Testament definition of the word as like a root that is immovable, that even if you break off the tree and everything is left level on the ground, the root is still there and will spring forth and continue to stay regardless of what happens. It is a moral persuasion in who God is that is not merely intellectual, but is a deep turning of the heart. And this involves the fear of God, the genuine fear of God. Because the genuine fear of God is a choice to rightly perceive God is ultimately trustworthy because of rightly receiving, first of all, the holiness of God, which I just defined and and explain. What happens so often is we fall into the trap of Cain, who began to become somewhat unthankful when he saw all of the things that were happening around him, suffering and suffering in his own life. And he began to perceive God out of an unthankfulness. His focus was more on the consequences of God's holiness and all this suffering than it was in recognizing that God is good because he is holy, because he is judging corruption. He is seeing to it that there is corrupt, there is judgment upon corruption. Oh, you might say, well, well, how come he allows wicked people to prosper and so on? The psalmist was asking about that. But again, the psalmist draws the conclusion that it is because there is a time coming when they're going to lose their life in the end in eternal destruction, eternal torment. Whether his judgment is revealed immediately or not is not the issue, for it says some man's sins are immediately judged and others go ahead of time or go be in the world hereafter are judged. It is not for us to know or to dictate to God his time to judge. But the time will come 
when there will be the great white throne judgment of God. But this is a faith that is out of the fear of God, which is a choice to perceive and reciprocate God, first of all, in his love, in the aspect of that love, which is the holiness of God. And from that, we recognize that God is good. And it is only when we recognize that God is good that we could recognize before Christ came that he has the power to forgive, which is clearly de declared throughout the Old Testament. And that is because we recognize that he is good, that his holiness is good. And so we reciprocate his mercy and we say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And we experience, the first time we do that and really mean it from our heart, spiritual rebirth, which is defined as faith in 1 John, for it says, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So what is born of God in, our, in us what is birthed of God in us is a new divine nature of faith. And that was the case from the time of Adam and Eve. People think, oh, people were only born again after Christ died on the cross. That is a complete error that is not taught in the word of God, nor backed by scripture. Christ expected Nicodemus to know what it meant to be born again before he died on the cross. And the rulers, he said, should know that as well. Do you think that Enoch, who had such a close relationship with God, and with, that he was translated, wasn't born again of the Spirit? Come on. Or Elijah? No. Enoch had this testimony, as it says here in Hebrews 11, that he pleased God and he was not, for God took him because he came into such a close union and relationship with God. The difference between the Old and the New Testament is that after Christ died, the spirit and the soul could be cleansed, allowing the indwelling of the spirit as opposed to the Holy Spirit dwelling with them before. But when the Holy Spirit is able to dwell with your soul and spirit because the flesh can be cleansed, not the soul and spirit before Christ, thus the spirit dwells with your soul and spirit. And the way I describe it is, it's like a fist opening up to the mercy of God. It's an open hand of surrender. And then another hand that's an open hand representing the Holy Spirit comes to rest against that hand, forming two hands of prayer. Now those two hands can't close and you have the divine nature. In the Old Testament, dwelling with their soul and spirit, they were born again. In the New Testament, indwelling or imbuing their soul and spirit. So there's always been rebirth, spiritual rebirth from the beginning of the time, because it is of faith and genuine faith comes out of the genuine fear of God that chooses to believe who God really is rather than having our own idolatrous perception of God. And if you don't believe that God is holy, you don't believe he is trustworthy fully Cain's perception is an idolatrous monotheistic perception of God, can be traced from the city of Cain in the pre-flood world to the first city that was built in the world in the world after the flood. Herudo, if I'm Herudi, I don't know how to exactly pronounce it. And then the next one was Nineveh. But there was the moon worship that developed there, 
through Nimrod and others, which believed in human sacrifice and so on. It spread to Babylon and then from there to Arabia, where it's the one one of the gods on that black rock that they marched around. That was called the God, which means in, in their language, what I don't need to even say, you know what I mean. It was the one that was chosen to be the God. It was the moon God that they called the God or Allah. But we are those that do not have an idolatrous monotheistic perception of God, but recognize that the holiness of God is good, that he is the one true eternal God. And in this message here, it's showing that one of the characteristics of this faith, which comes out of the fear of God, it, it, see, when you reciprocate God and his holiness, you see how undone you are apart from his mercy and his goodness to you, to show favor to you, to forgive you. And so you cry out for forgiveness and you're reciprocating the ultimate manifestation of perfection of his love, which is his mercy revealed in favor or grace. And so the gospel always is described as coming in truth with grace in the New Testament or in the Old Testament. Coming, the God of holiness is the God of whose mercy endures forever. And I, I could go in and talk a lot more on this topic, but I don't want to right now. I want to really emphasize the message here. So some of the characteristics of, of faith is that it is the assurance of things hoped for is what it means more accurately. In King James, it says substance. But it is having an assurance. It's like an unshakable foundation in what you're hoping for. And seeing evidence of that world that is invisible, that is everlasting, the ultra-real Permanent realm is the spiritual realm. I did an amazing word study once, and I can't share the details of that with you here. I'd have to go to the reference it. But I've, you know, the Hebrew, the Greek letters come out of the Hebrew letters. That's how letter language evolved. And, and I started looking up the Greek letters for the word spiritual. And it basically was defining from the symbolic meaning of those Greek letters, because the Hebrew letters had symbolic meanings, and so you equate those symbolic meanings with the Greek ones. And I discovered that it means the basically permanent, the ultra real permanent realm. And I've written a book on life after death. And of course, I know what the people experience. When they're in heaven, they can feel very physical, just as you do in your physical body. When they eat of the trees of life, the fruit is the taste is way beyond anything you can experience in this dimension. It's so wonderful. And you can feel the juice rolling down your cheeks. You can run on the ground and feel the ground. Feel your feet hitting the ground just as real and way more real there because you, there's intelligence with every foot that hits the ground. I don't know how they, they said that. They can feel all this knowledge while they're running. But this one fellow described it like that. But you can also float in the air or go by instant thought where you want. 
It's like Christ. He had a resurrection body. He could walk through walls and yet eat food. Just had to change the atomic frequency if maybe there's a way of explaining it in this natural inferior third dimension, which is far inferior to the other dimensions of existence where heaven is and so on. Of course, particle physics reveals that by mathematical analysis to be the case, which is also in my book. So, here we have faith being the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Now the other chapter I received was Genesis chapter 29, which I've mentioned about Jacob. And in Hebrews here, it does describe Jacob as well although it doesn't describe his faith so much. But there are verses more, there's two verses that mention Jacob in Hebrews chapter 11. And so I do want to um, go to those verses. One is in verses 20 to 22, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. When you look at the life of Jacob, you see... God is a skillful artificer, pre-marking his path in his journey of faith. He starts out being a conniver and a deceiver, but he has one quality that stands out, and that is that he highly values the things that are truly valuable, which is God and his birthright, unlike Esau. And faith also is there because they see the worth of what is truly the reality of what is ultimately of worth and of the highest quality, which is the eternal spiritual realm, which is God, who is love, who can assure our destiny in this world even, so that everything in the trials and suffering we go together works together for good. And with Jacob, he flees from Esau because he highly valued the birthright, but he was a conniver. His name, Jacob, means deceiver, or he will take by the heel. He took Esau by the heel coming out of the womb. And so he's being deceived by Laban time and time again because he's reaping what he sowed in his own life of deceiving Esau. But in the process, he's still trusting in God and he gets two beautiful wives. Of course, really nice one, Rachel. But he was deceived by him not giving Rachel to her. Instead, he gave Leah and then a week later, Rachel, because of tradition. But anyhow, we go on and we see Jacob on his journey. So I mentioned 
He comes to this place and God visits him and he makes a, a vow to God, I will if you bless me. And God did indeed bless Jacob. When he went to Laban, he prospered and fled with all the flocks and, and abundance. And he comes to another crisis and we know again, he wrestled with the angel, which was actually Jesus Christ in the flesh. For he asked his name and he says, I cannot give you my name, seeing it is wonderful. And it says that when he wrestled, that he, the place was called Pinia, meaning I've seen God face to face. And he said, I have seen God face to face. He wrestled with God and would not let him go until he blessed him. He valued what was really valuable. Faith is a moral persuasion in what is ultimately valuable, which is a love relationship with God that includes all the wealth of the universe, for he is the very source of life and of all creation and of all that exists. <laughs> I said to one fellow going down the elevator, I forget what it was that brought it up, but it, it made me think. Uh, he he said to me uh, something, oh, uh, I forget if it was a holiday or what, uh, but anyhow, I said in, re in response to him, I said, well, I don't have to be concerned about anything because I have the source of the universe in me, the creator of everything. He's living in me. I don't have to worry about anything. I forget if it was that he was concerned about COVID or what it was that sparked me saying that to him. But that's true. We have in us the very source of the universe dwelling in us. All we need to do is exercise that faith each day in a life of prayer and of abiding in him because it's only as we abide in him. And it says, as you've received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. It is a reciprocating of God in his glorious being of love that we reciprocate each day through our prayers, through our honesty, through our transparency that comes out of the fear of God. You see, the fear of God is that right perception of God where we come before him in utter reverence. When you really love someone, they're precious to you. You're in awe of whose presence you're in. Did you know that half of your brain, according to the people that study the brain, was created to comprehend out of awe? Yes, that's how important it is. God created us to worship him. And a great portion of our brain is made just to comprehend the awe of who God is. If you don't even say a word and you're just an awe in his presence, that's good enough. And then you speak when you know he's speaking through you or you are moved to, to speak to him out of a humble, pure heart that is transparent before him. You don't try to hide sin before God. He knows when you're sinning. No, you always come before the Lord and you... And you say, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And if there's sin, you repent of it so that you can walk in the light as he is in the light and have fellowship one with another. Oh, I could go on sharing a lot here. It says in Hebrews 1, 
8 to 10, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac, and there's the name Jacob again, the second time that Jacob is mentioned in Hebrews. 11. So Jacob even saw Abraham because when he was a child, Abraham, for sure, was visiting Isaac. And so Jacob knew Abraham. And so they dwelt in tents together. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob with their wives and their children, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he looked for a city which hath foundation, whose builder and maker is God. You know that any place of habitation whose foundation is God, you know that that is going to go on forever and ever without end, without corruption, because God is the opposite of corruption and the very destroyer of corruption because he is holy. His love has integrity. It is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to love. And so the message God is saying to the church today is that you are to build up yourselves in the most holy face, praying in the Holy Ghost through prayer. He is calling his people to become a house of prayer. He is calling them to become those that are baptized in his love despite the differences that are in your assembly. You know, I often have said, because I see when I go to different assemblies, that I'm not the same as them, that I've come here to cross-pollinate you, whether I say it to them or not, with what I've experienced in going to another assembly for a year or two. I only go to where God tells me to be. I seek to be only where he wants me to be. And so I come there, and one's in a denomination, and they persecute you a bit and misunderstand you, and they think you're trying to steal the sheep, though I would never do that have no such motive at all. Just because I'm giving up my cards with a website that has ministry on it, that's a one denomination thought. You know, oh, don't give out your cards. You might steal our sheep. Come on, Christ is building the church. What do you, can't you see that the life I'm living is a godly life, that my motives are pure? Then you go to another church. But you see, the, these are the things, the denominative mindset. God wants to defeat, to defeat it in these last days. He calls us to be those that receive one another as Christ received us, to learn to wash one another's feet and to love one another fervently. He is wanting in these last days to bring a unity between him in the fear of God and with each other that is as never before that will fulfill John 17 and will allow for a mighty baptism of his love. What do you think is going to happen when there's that unity? There the Lord commands the blessing, even life forevermore. There needs to be a lot more preaching on love in the church and on loving one another and practice of it, like washing one another's feet or polishing one another's shoes if you want to do that and learning to, to go to one another if you feel like you're rejected and tell them that you love them and and, and share your faults with them to woo them and win them in a love relationship with you 
to Christ. We learn to lay down our lives for one another, brothers and sisters, and that's what it means. Humbling ourselves first before God and laying down our lives before God by not loving the world. But when you love the world, your heart is hard, and there's a spirit of adultery which brings that spirit of divorce. God is calling his people to repent of loving the world, the gods of amusement, sports. I'm not saying it's wrong to watch sports. I'm saying if you spend hours watching sports and you don't pray and seek God, you are in a relationship where you're going to lose out. How in the world is it that you even find those things entertaining if you have a deep relationship with God? They're boring. God can give you, if your uniqueness, creative things to do, whether it's writing a book or writing poetry or painting or whatever it is that he's calling you to do for his work that are counting for eternity and redeeming the time instead of wasting the time on things that are highly esteemed among men that are an abomination in the sight of God. He is jealous for his bride in these last days. It doesn't mean you're going to live some narrow life. Yes, it is a narrow road. But the narrow life is a life filled with the abundance of his presence, which you would never trade for any of those shallow things because it's so much more fulfilling. And so I'm encouraging you, brothers and sisters, in this hour to wake up and become his house of prayer and holiness. So get that book, God, Headship, and Body Invasion, or my other book, Afterlife, Incredible, Irrefutable. But the book that's really important for your church is that other one, God, Headship, and Body Invasion. Of course, the other one's really important too because there's a lot of deception and that book really is coming against a lot of that deception in these last days. So thank you for listening to this message. Appreciate your prayers and your support as I am in a lot of debt right now that is very difficult, and I need a miracle for God to get me out of it. And I'm just trusting that things will start to take off with my book or something will happen. It wasn't because I did things that were wrong with money. It was because I tried to do things that were related to making money that were wrong in the past. But I've learned my lesson. I've repented. And I want the resources to be able to fully focus on God's work and not have this distraction and burden on me anymore, but I'm resting in the Lord through all of this. Thank you. God bless you all.